The Bible opens by presenting an almighty God who creates the universe by His spoken Word. Psalms 33, verse 6, by the Word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host by the breath of His mouth. We're going to talk about the power of God's Word in health and healing today. And at the end, we're going to pray for folks that have been battling infirmity and sickness. But first, I want to saute you with God's Word, lots of it, a lot more than normal here, because faith comes by hearing God's Word, okay? So I'm going to put a lot of it on you and try to massage it in. Genesis 1, verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was. Verse 6, and God said, notice he's, he's talking, God said, let there be firmament, and the heavens were created. Verse 9, and God said, let there be dry ground, and there was dry ground. Verse 11, and God said, let there be grass, and we've been cutting it ever since. <laughs> Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights, and God created the sun, the moon, and stars. Verse 20, and God said, let there be sea, and the sea and all of life was created. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth every living creature. And verse 26, and God said, let us make man, and God made man. And then He made woman, and God rested. But nobody else rested since. <laughs> Notice two things. Number one. Nothing happens on earth or in heaven until God says. Later I'll show you what you proclaim in the Scripture in faith has the same power and authority as if God spoke it Himself, because He did. Nothing supernatural happens until God or His anointed representatives on earth speak divine proclamation in faith. Number two, I just read eight times in Scripture where God spoke. In biblical numerology, eight is the number of new beginnings. Eight was the number of people on Noah's Ark, a new beginning for civilization. So when you open your mouth and speak God's Word in faith under the anointing of God's Holy Spirit, you're going to have a new beginning. And I'm believing God to give you a new beginning in your business, needing a financial breakthrough that takes you from just enough to more than enough. I'm asking God to give some of you a new beginning in your marriage where it has become fractured or stressed or stagnant. I'm asking God to give you a new beginning today in your physical health, that sickness and disease today will be broken and crushed in your body by the anointed proclamation you are going to make before we close this service. I'm asking God to give you a new beginning in your emotional health. Some of you are bound by fear others resentment, others hopelessness, some bitterness, others by physical addiction. But I promise you that today you can experience a brand new beginning of joy that's unspeakable, a peace that passes all human understanding. Now look with me, if you will, in Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says 
will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, let's begin with a question. What is a proclamation? The word to proclaim comes from the Latin word meaning to shout forth. Before radio and television, the method of communication was for a king's herald to go to a city square and begin by saying, hear ye, hear ye. Now he got the attention, and then he issued a divine proclamation. It had the authority of the king and the power of the government behind it. That's what a proclamation is in the Word of God. We are ambassadors of Christ, and we proclaim what He says. We are heralds of good news, and it has the authority of the king who gave it, and I delegatedly receive it and share it. It has the power of the kingdom of God behind it because He spoke it. It has the authority of heaven behind it because it's the Word of God. Now, in the New Testament, there's a related word for proclaim, and that is to confess. And the definition of to confess in the New Testament means to say the same thing as, to say the same thing as. For us as believers, confession means we say the words found in God's Word with our mouth in faith. Then God puts His authority behind it, and something supernatural happens. Remember, His Word is alive and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It has been breathed by the Holy Spirit. You, you've got a nuclear weapon in your mouth. In the mouth, in, in the tongue is the power of life and death. But when you start slinging God's Word, there is something going to move. And it's not my emotion that makes that happen. It's our faith that makes that happen. And it's the authority of God behind His Word that makes it work. Proclamation, however, without faith and obedience is just cheap psychosomatics. You don't run around repeating something over and over and over again and make it happen. That's brainwashing. But when you speak God's Word in faith, believing, now you're plugged into the authority of heaven, and that's a major difference. In that way, you and I set ourselves up to receive the authority of Jesus Christ, our high priest. Now, there are two scriptural connections you have to make at this point. Number one, that Jesus is the living Word. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning, before anything was, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Obviously, this is a person. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh. That's the birth of Jesus at His incarnation, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So there's no doubt about it that Jesus is the living Word. We have the written Word, the Bible, and Jesus is the living Word. Jesus is not only the living Word, but Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 says He's the high priest of our confession. Now what does that mean? It means that whatever we say with our mouth, whenever we say with our mouth exactly what the Bible says, and we speak that in faith, Jesus, our high priest in heaven, releases His authority and anointing and blessing on that word or proclamation or confession 
so that it performs what it was sent to do. So when you open your mouth and you recite the Word of God in faith, believing Jesus is backing it up in heaven, there's a miracle in your mouth waiting to happen. But you must confess the Word of God, not your will. Laying your hands outside in the parking lot on somebody's new BMW and claiming it is not a confession. That's car theft. <laughs> proclamation and confession are weapons of spiritual warfare. A proclamation is aggressive. It's a word from God that breaks the yoke. I'm sorry. I'm not a good Pentecostal or charismatic. I'm spirit-filled, but I kept my brain. I read the Bible. Jesus did not pray long prayer. Now, we're not talking about intercession. We're talking about praying for somebody. He never prayed long for anybody. Neither did the disciples, and neither did the Apostle Paul. When a woman that had a spirit of divination, she's a fortune teller, bringing money to her handlers, followed him around a town where he was bringing good news. He got so irritated that he waited three days. On the third day, he spun around, and listen to what he said, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. How long was that prayer? He was, that's Clint Eastwood. Make my day, turkey. Come out of her. Authority spoken. It's like a dad saying to a guy with his hands on his, get your hands off my, my tone, my inflection, and the brevity of my word carries an authority and will get your attention. So, so will it in the Word of God. This is not a sweet Jesus prayer. This is a dirty, hairy prayer. When Jesus spoke to anybody, He just spoke a couple of words. Boom, that's it. And that's what we're going to do today as well. I'm trying to get you out of any stereotype that may be messing up your brain. We're Christians, not Baptists, not Assembly of God, not Methodists. Not, we're followers of Jesus. This is His Word. We're going to obey His Word. Wherever that puts me, fine. But I will not let somebody limit me with a tag or a name. As long as you can define it in Scripture clearly, then you have the right to it. And if you use it, your life will go very, very well. So, a proclamation is a word that brings victory in spiritual warfare, victory over the world, victory over the flesh, and over the devil, victory over principalities and powers of darkness. It releases the authority of God into your mind, into your battle, into your crisis, and into your soul. Jesus said, whatever you do in my name, whatever you say in my name, whatever you bind in my name, I'll bind it in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth in my name, I'll loose in heaven. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name. We've been given, I didn't earn it, I, didn't get, I don't have a right to it, but as an heir of Christ, He gives me His carte blanche. He says, you've got my name. It's a key to everything. Use that authority. So when we do that, we have a weapon. We're not mere victims of random circumstances. We must become aggressive people, knowledgeable people, and courageous people if we're going to be victorious people. So the Word God gives is a word that brings complete victory. And without complete victory, you know and I know there's no victory. I don't want to tie against the Prince of Darkness. I want a 100 to nothing slam dunk blowout in my favor, a total victory. And I want that for you. So an anointed proclamation is God's nuclear weapon in the mouth of a believer. Your proclamation makes every demon around you tremble. 
Your proclamation makes barriers to blessings fall down like the walls of Jericho. Your confession of the Word of God conquers sickness and disease. Your proclamation of the Word of God in faith brings financial breakthrough that you need, takes you from the pit to the palace in one day. When you're in spiritual combat, get a Bible. Find some verses related to your fight. Believe those verses. Write them down. Proclaim them. Shout them out. Obey them. Rehearse them over and over again because Jesus, your high priest in heaven, hears it and gives it authority and power. He watches over His Word, not your Word, His Word to perform it. And so I want to make sure my mouth is filled with what God says. I don't pray in error. I don't pray in vain. I'm not wasting time. And I am definitely inflicting damage on the enemy. And immediately when you do that, your problem is crushed by the power of the living spoken word. Now, let's do a little background. Let's consider Moses and his rod. Moses had been on the backside of a desert for 40 years. He's now 80 years old. God's calling him to go to Egypt, to the place of his failure, to be the deliverer of Israel from Egyptian bondage. Several lessons in that. Number one, you're never too old to do something great in the kingdom of God. Moses was 80. What's your problem? I'm 70. I got 10 more years before I even get started good. 80s when people compliment your alligator shoes and you're only barefooted. The thought is, when God starts to do a new thing in your life, God will take you back to the place of failure and give you the opportunity to conquer it so you can quit living your life looking in a rearview mirror. God doesn't want you to be conquered by your past. He wants to liberate you to live your future. Wherever you've been is never important to Him. It's where you're going that matters. Moses is 80, but he's lost his confidence. He lost confidence that he had in himself when he was prince of Egypt. It's been 40 years. He's been on the run. He was assassinated by the Egyptian media. 40 years, he's been dragged through the slime of political conspiracy in Egypt. And Moses kind of likes the solitude of the wilderness. He kind of likes these sheep. He figures out they're a lot less trouble than people. But God comes to him out in the wilderness and says, hey, I want you to go and face Pharaoh. And Moses says, why me? I don't speak well. I stutter. I can't do anything. Choose Aaron, not me. But God says, nope. It's you, Moses. I want you. Now, therefore, go. Moses is a broken guy. He's had catastrophic failure. He thinks God will never do anything with him. But the God we serve uses broken things. Psalms 51, verse 17, a broken and contrite spirit God will not despise. It's broken ground that produces the harvest for a farmer. It's the broken alabaster box that produces the fragrant aroma of perfume. It's broken grapes that produce the new wine. It's a broken rose petal that produces a beautiful fragrance. And the broken heart is a heart that sings the sweetest songs. Have you been broken in the crisis of life? Then cheer up. Your finest hour is just ahead of you. So God's saying to you today, the best is yet to come. He's saying, come on, Moses, you're going back to face Pharaoh, and this time the victory is going to be yours. Lift your head, Moses. Shout for joy. Square your shoulders. Clap your hands. Return to Egypt. Kick Pharaoh and his snake charmers out the back door and take charge of your life in this nation or somebody else will. Everybody in this room this morning and watching by live stream, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. You're a member of a world. It's not based on your IQ, your SAT scores. 
It's not based on the fact you had a divorce or didn't have one. You're a member of royalty. If you knew you were part of royalty, if you knew your father was Warren Buffett, if you knew Bill Gates was, was uh, part of your family and you're a Gate Jr., it would affect the way you act. It would affect the way you think. It would affect the way you talk. And it would affect the way you live. Holy Moses, of course it would. You wouldn't walk around saying, I'm just a worm. I got $40 billion over there in daddy. I ain't no worm. What do you mean we got a problem? We can take care of that. Daddy can take care of that. It's what our kids always say, you know. I say, one day I'm going to buy a boat. <laughs> when my kids buy something, I, I was thinking I saw a boat once when I'm a boat enthusiast and all. Back when, before my kids grew up and had weddings and all, I had a boat. <laughs> Thought I'd put on the back daddy's money, you know, for something. <laughs> I wanted to put it on my kids' car plates on their car, but they wouldn't have that, you know, daddy's money. But if you had that, it affects the way you act. Some of you think you're, you're, you're orphans or you're, you're, you're the, the, the black sheep of the family. And God says, you're members of royalty. You're the apple of my eye. Whoever touches you touches me. The hairs on your head are numbered. What are you talking about? God's crazy about you. You're not behaving real nice, but he's crazy about you. You're a child of the king. Secondly, God asked Moses, what's in your hand? Now, this was just a plain, ordinary shepherd's rod. Nothing fancy, certainly nothing beautiful or intricate about it. And God commanded Moses, throw it on the ground. And Moses did. And you know what happened? It became a snake. And Moses ran. I know he was a smart guy. I, I like Moses. God was telling Moses, there's more potential in that ordinary stick than you ever imagined. God told him, pick it up by the tail. <laughs> I think most of us would have failed the snake handling seminar right there. But Moses obeyed, and he picked it up by the tail, and it became a rod once again. So God was telling Moses, all you're going to need for the rest of your calling, Moses, is this rod. And every time supernatural power was needed, Moses stretched out that rod and took control. God's divine authority was released through that rod. Exodus 4.20 calls that rod the rod of God. When Moses arrived in Pharaoh's court, he cast his rod down and it became a snake. The two magicians of Pharaoh cast their rods down and they too became snakes. So we've got two snakes fighting one. Moses' snake killed and ate the other two snakes. It was a declaration that the God of Moses was greater than all the gods of Egypt. When he took it by the tail, God was saying symbolically to Moses, don't you worry, Moses, I got Egypt by the tail. I've got everybody by the tail. And so it was a declaration that this God was greater than all these multiple gods of Egypt. It was also a way of saying that when God begins a new beginning in a nation, a church, or the life of an individual, the first battle that has to be fought is the battle of witchcraft. That's the manipulation of other people for control of their life, their mind, and their thinking. Everybody in this room has been tainted, good or bad, all of us, by culture, by our parents, or who raised us, or the events in our life that were good or bad, or what we were told, or where we were raised, we've all had the handiwork of man put all over us. And the only way to be a free man and a woman is in your mind when it is washed with God's Word, and you live within the boundaries of who God says you are and what God says you can do, and you break the yoke of the enemy that controls people's thinking. 
people that live in abject poverty, people that live in uh, abusive situations or came out of that, and that's all they've ever known. It is a culture. It is a demonic spirit that controls the way people think. It controls their expectation. They don't know they're free to escape. They don't know they can live differently, or they don't believe it. There's, that's why the Bible says, take every thought captive and bring it into subjection to God's Word. That's the only truth that's eternal is God's Word. And so, at the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army was in hot pursuit. Moses lifted the rod of God, and the Red Sea divided. The children of Israel walked across on dry ground. When the Egyptian army pursued, Moses again held up his rod, and the water swallowed the Egyptian army up, and they became fish food in a second. When the children of Israel needed water, Moses went over and struck the rock with his rod. Now, God had told him, hit the rock only one time. From then on, speak to the rock. But Moses got angry with the people later on, because folks can make you, make you mad. And he struck the rock. God judged Moses for that and refused to allow him to go into the promised land. He let him see it, but he couldn't go in. Striking the rock again made the people look to Moses as the source of that water rather than God. God was saying to Moses, don't you ever think you're big enough to share my glory. The glory belongs to God, never to a man. Now, Jesus is called, isn't He, the rock of our salvation. He was crucified once for all. Moses struck the rock twice. The only thing Moses needed for the next 40 years was this simple, ordinary shepherd's rod. Now, watch the transition. Every Christian has a rod that God has given to us all. It is the Word of God. It is the only instrument you ever need to do everything God has called you to do. Your Bible is the rod of God. It's a supernatural book. You don't read it. It reads you. It has the anointed Holy Spirit for its author. It's God-breathed. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It separates truth from a lie, soul from spirit, marrow from bone, light from darkness, and good from evil. Your Bible is called the bread of life. It's living water. It's milk for children. It's meat for men. It is the spoken Word of Almighty God. So speak it with authority, speak it with faith, speak it with boldness, and the water will separate, Pharaoh will drown, and victory will be yours in Jesus' name. <laughs> Psalms 107, verse 20, He sent His Word and healed them. Jesus spoke the Word of God on the Sea of Galilee, and the wind and the waves obeyed Him instantly. You think this was a long prayer? He stood up from a sleep in the midst of a storm with terrified disciples who said, Master, carest thou not that we're going to drown? And he, if I took it, King James translated your Bible in 1611. So if you're 400 years old, you can speak that way. But nobody speaks that way. And they translated that from the Greek. But he would say it in our vernacular today. He stood up and said, shut up, peace, be still. And the waves and the wind stopped, and the waves went flat as glass. That wasn't a real long prayer. I like going to lunch with him. Some of you, you know, your wife will go through menopause before you finish praying. That's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm serious. I remember one time we were at a, at a family, I was with my father and mother, and, and this woman prayed and prayed and prayed. 
and, and my dad, not a very spiritual man, military, said, who put another quarter in her to me, talking like that? And I thought, so you don't impress anybody when you do that. You certainly don't impress God. And if Jesus is our standard, He rebuked it. He spoke to it and said, stop it, shut up. And He had obeyed it. He spoke that word. Sickness and disease were conquered by His spoken word. Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man walked out of a grave. He rebuked the fever of Peter's mother-in-law, and it left. He spoke to it. Fever, go. Now, all sickness is not demonic. Let's not get goofy. But sickness can still be addressed. Jesus spoke to the fever. A fever commanded it to go. And by the way, if St. Peter is the first pope, at least we know he was married. He's got a mother-in-law. You're going to have to explain that to me, how you have a mother-in-law if you ain't married. Protestants criticize the Catholics because they don't even know the Bible. Somebody else tells them. And then Protestants have the Bible, but they don't read it. So there seems to be no limit to stupidity. I, I don't know. So one thing I do know about St. Peter is he is married. And the mother-in-law is laying on the couch with, it says, a great fever. So this, this was intense. Jesus went into that house, rebuked the fever. And she got up immediately, started going to the kitchen cooking. This is just, this is just kind of by the way. You, you walk into a child with a high fever in your home. Dad, walk in there. Take a little oil, a little baby oil. Put a little oil on that forehead. Put your hand on it. Say, I rebuke this fever in the name of Jesus. I command you to leave my child in the authority of Jesus' name. Well, but Rick, I'm not Pentecostal. You're a Christian, dummy. You have authority, goofy. There seems to be limits to most things in life, but stupidity seems to be unlimited. You have an authority to address it. You bless that child. I've rebuked fever, I've rebuked nausea and sickness, and I'll do it till the day I die off my family and off some of you, my friends. I don't talk, negotiate. I don't want to hear 14 pages of what it's diagnosed as. I'm going to address it just like Jesus did, and I'm going to command it to go, and I suggest you do the same thing. We've got a pattern here from our Savior. Revelation 19, verse 11 and 12, And I saw the heavens open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. His eyes were a flame of fire. He had on his head many crowns. Why? Because he's king of all kings. He's Lord of all lords. And his name shall be called the Word of God. In John 1, verse 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, and the Word became flesh. This is Jesus. Now, notice this all goes together, Revelation 19, verse 15. And out of his mouth shall go a two-edged sword. That is the spoken word of God. Hebrews says, his word is a two-edged sword, able to divide soul from spirit. This is, this is metaphoric language here. And with it, that is the sword, the word, out of his mouth, he will strike down nations. He will crush and devastate nations merely by His Word. We're talking about the spoken Word of the living God. So what will bring you total victory in every dimension of life? The spoken Word of the living God over marriage, finance, health, rebellion, confusion, disorder, 
your children, your business, your future, the slander of the enemy. God's given you a rod to use. Now listen to Psalms 149, verse 6 through 9. I know I'm giving you a lot of Scripture, but I, if, you don't, if you don't use this rod, then you pretty much are, you got no teeth, you got no fangs to bite anybody, let alone the enemy. Psalms 149, verse 6 through 9. Let the high praises of God be in the mouth of the saints of God. High praise. Praise the Lord. That ain't very high. That's the low praises. High praise. Well, Rick, we're not charismatic. Are you a believer in Jesus? Uh Uh-huh. You believe God's Word? Of course. Then shut up and praise up. Let the high praises of God be in your mouth. This is always, this is a battle I had as a Baptist boy being filled with the Spirit. And I said, listen to the Scriptures. Clap your hands, O ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. That's not Catholic. That's not Pentecostal. That's Bible. You mean to tell me you're going to let one group obey that word and you're not? Two preachers in this city in my lifetime were fired from their churches for encouraging people to worship and praise by lifting their hands. And they were fired for being charismatic, for lifting their hands. You're fired for obeying Scripture. Lift your hands in the sanctuary and praise Him. How stupid can we be? I'm more afraid of these religious people than I am of any Al-Qaeda iris terrorist. They do more damage to people than can. Jesus has gotten a terrible image from religious people who have molded Him and the Bible in their own image because they refuse to read it or obey it out of just fear. So he says, this is quite noisy. Let the high praises of God be in your mouth and a two-edged sword in your hand, that's the Word of God, to execute vengeance on the heathen and bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron. We have the power of God in praise and in the Word of God to execute vengeance that Jesus won over every principality and power. We can bind them. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed. We have the power to bind them with the Word of God and execute vengeance on them that Jesus already won at the cross. I was, I was like 40 years old before I ever even saw that truth. I was just a good old boy, a good old Baptist going to heaven, believing for the rapture in about 20 minutes, and, and you know, on my way to heaven, but I, a victim. No matter what the enemy threw, we just took it, just good, good takers, just come on, pour it on, pour it on, because I thought about the only victory we have is going to heaven when we die. Well, so our great theme song was just a few more weary years and I'll fly away. (laughs) Weary people. I had no concept of authority of a believer. Now, we have certain limits, but we have more than you can imagine. Don't be a pacifist. Don't be a good loser. When Lou Holtz took over Notre Dame football team and went on to win the national championship, he said, my concern when I went there was, They weren't highly rated. They had been in a slump for a few years. And he says, it wasn't that the team wanted to lose. Here's what got me. He said, they didn't hate losing. Don't be a good loser spiritually. 
you fight like a man is mugging you to steal your purse. You claw, bite, you kick, you scream, you resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. I think we've made church too comfortable. We've made it a visitor center. It's warm. Let's roast marshmallows. Oh, got some graham crackers? Good. We'll have s'mores. It's safe. It's not noisy. It's predictable. And I thought, now we ought, probably ought to rip everything out. Get take the air conditioning out. Now let's get in that. Then I'll bet, I bet people wouldn't pray real long then. Right? Come on. I need some amen. How about a little help for me up here? I'm just giving you truth. So we have the power through the Word of God to control the direction of these evil principalities and powers over our city, over our marriages, over our lives and ministries. God's Word is also medicine. Proverbs 4 verse 20, my son, listen to my words. They are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. God's Word is the greatest health manual you'll ever read in your life. So, uh, Proverbs 10 verse 11, the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. There's a miracle in your mouth. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are as honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones. But if your words are hateful and bitter and angry and negative and filled with fear and unbelief, they will poison you. Your Bible says your confession of God's Word in faith releases the healing power of God, which is yours by virtue of what Christ did at the cross. By His stripes we are healed. Isaiah 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. That means when you pray the Word of God or you proclaim the Word of God and you do that in faith, your high priest in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, hears it. And he sends this word with anointing to the four corners of the earth to accomplish his purpose. And if you ever catch that, you'll become unstoppable the rest of your life. Every time the enemy sees you coming, he knows you know you have power to defeat him. And if you're passive and compliant, he will eat your lunch. Well, doesn't God love me? Sure he loves you. But he gave you a 30 6 he gave you a Glock 40 caliber, he gave you instructions. And he said, shoot. Now, he can't do that for you, but he's given you authority. He's given you weapons. And you want to sit around and cry, blow snot, and have tissues, and get more psychiatric counseling. Fight. I'm not going to let the enemy steal my marriage. I'm not going to let him steal my health. I'm not going to let him steal my kids. And I'm not going to let him steal you. I'm going to fight. I'm not going to let him steal my destiny and my future. And he will if you let him. So be alert, be on guard, be sober-minded, for the enemy, like a roaring lion, is always roaming around, see whom he can consume. Make sure it ain't you, because you know what you know. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put this into practice right now. So if you need health or healing in your body or your child, then just right where you are, stand up. We're going to make a powerful profession. And you're going to pray with me, and you're going to pray out loud. You're going to shout it out. You're not going to mumble. Well, I don't want anybody to hear me next to me. Well, stay sick. Stay in trouble. Enjoy yourself. But I pray loud. I pray loud at home. We pray loud in the car. 
we get a phone call, somebody's going to the hospital and they're getting a surgery and there's a tumor and there's something, Cindy and I grab hands and we shout, I curse that tumor. We declare God's wisdom over the surgeon and skill. We just speak to it just like Jesus said. Try that and see if your results don't improve. Just improve, okay? Does everybody get well? Well, apparently not. We do funerals here. But it's okay to die in the will of God, but not without the will of God. And if you don't, if you don't fight, then the enemy can take you out prematurely. And so I want you to be aggressive people like that. So here's what we're going to say if you're battling that, and I hope the whole rest of the church will just stand, I mean, not stand up, but be in agreement with us as we do this. Say, Lord Jesus, I make a confession today in faith that you are my Lord and Savior, my great physician. You are my healer. By your stripes, I am now being healed by your precious blood. I have victory over every sickness and disease. Lord Jesus, you set before me life and death. I choose life. You set before me blessing and cursing. I choose the blessing. I will not fear, for you are with me. Your word is my strength. You are my fortress. You are my high tower. I am begotten of God. The wicked one touches me not. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Greater is he in me than he that is in the world. I will praise you. I will declare your greatness. I will bless your name forever. I break every curse of infirmity, destruction, affliction, and disease that I've inherited through unbelieving generations. For you, Lord Jesus, became a curse for me and redeemed me from it that the blessing of Abraham may come on me through Christ Jesus. I command spirits of affliction, of sickness, of pain, of infection, go. Leave my body in the name of Jesus. Those that wait on the Lord shall exchange strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Therefore, I shall not die, but I shall live and declare the works of the Lord. I praise you, O God, that through Jesus Christ, the victory is mine. In Jesus' name. Now, come on, shout hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you praise. Now, please be seated. And those of you that are in need of protection or guidance, I want you to stand. If you need to stand twice, it's perfectly all right. But I want you to pray this profession boldly with me as well. And remember, God is the high priest. He watches over His Word, our confession, to confirm it. Say, Lord Jesus, I make this proclamation in faith that you are my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? You are the strength of my life. 
of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat my flesh, they stumble and fall. Though an army gather against me, my heart shall not fear. In this will I be confident that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In time of trouble, you will hide me in your pavilion. You will set me on a high rock. You will lift my head above my enemies. The Lord is the glory and the lifter of my head. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy. I will sing praises unto the Lord my God, for the victory is mine today, and no weapon formed against me shall prosper in Jesus' name. Now you give a good shout of amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now you can be seated. And I want to make one more proclamation. Those of you facing financial difficulty or in need of a breakthrough, you stand. And again, if you need to stand more than once, fine. But for goodness sake, with God's presence here and His Word in the atmosphere and the Holy Spirit present, get up. Open that mouth. Say, Lord Jesus, I make this proclamation in faith believing. It is You who gives me power to get wealth. It is You, O Lord, who plants me by rivers of living water. My leaf shall not wither, and whatever I do shall prosper. You will make me the head and not the tail. You will give me houses I did not build, vineyards I did not plant, wells I did not dig, cars I did not pay for, because I have honored you with my giving and my living. My harvest will return to me exceedingly, abundantly, above all I can ask or imagine. The harvest will be pressed down, shaken together, running over. I will be blessed going out. I will be blessed coming in. I will be blessed in my basket and in my storehouse. Satan will restore sevenfold all that he has stolen. My harvest is coming. It's an abundant harvest. It comes from you, O oh God, the giver of every perfect gift. And I thank you, Lord, for a brand new beginning in Jesus' name. Now, hold on. Hold on. Listen to this. Stand there. And I want everybody to stand just for a minute. David said this after his profession. Therefore will I offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle, and I will give praise to the Lord my God. So for 30 seconds, I want you to just shout loud as you can unto the Lord. Come on, 30 seconds. Hallelujah, Lord. We bless you, O God. You are greatly to be praised. There is none like you. All glory belongs to you. All honor belongs to you. All praise be to you. Thank you, Yoke, you defeated death, hell, and the grave. We bless your own name, O God. We praise you with high praise, with your word. Thank you, every yoke is being broken. Every sickness is being defeated. 
every barrier is coming down. In the name of Jesus, by the power of your word, in Jesus' name. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.